Hey, I'm Natasha Crane. And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. Well, as many of you know, we just held our first Unshaken conference last month in Dayton, Ohio. And one of the sessions that we did was a Q&A where people could submit questions using their phone. Well, we allotted 45 minutes to answer what we could, but we were overwhelmed with the number of questions that we got. Attendees submitted literally dozens of questions to us, so we only had the opportunity to answer a small percentage of them. So we thought in today's episode that we would just take some of the ones that we couldn't get to at the conference, the questions that we thought would be especially helpful for listeners of this podcast to have answers to. So we're going to dive into those, but first, just a couple of announcements and our tips of the week. Well, we did have such an amazing time in Dayton, Ohio. It was exceeded all of our expectations. And I think all of us, including the attendees and the speakers, we all just left so encouraged. And so we really hope that you guys will get to make it out to one of our future conferences. And we get to tell you exactly where those are going to be today. So May 6th, we've announced that's going to be in the Los Angeles, Orange County area. We're actually going to be at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills on May 6th. And we're also on November November 4th in the fall, going to be in Brentwood Baptist in the Nashville area, Brentwood Baptist there in Franklin. So go to unshakenconference.com where you can buy your tickets for Chino Hills already right now. Register for that and keep checking for updated uh, information. And we're going to be uh, telling you guys about our final location here real soon. All right, so my tip of the week is just explore the next question. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of times when you first start learning about skeptical claims that are being made against Christianity, or maybe somebody in your life is really doubting what they believe and you feel really overwhelmed with all of the information that is out there, just explore the next question. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to read a 500-page book. Just figure out what is the question that's right in front of you. Maybe somebody in your life is really doubting the goodness of God uh, when we look at all of the evil in the world. If that's the case, then just take that one question and start learning what you can about it. You don't have to get overwhelmed by starting to prove the cosmological argument or the moral argument or become an expert in biblical reliability. Just start looking at the ways that people have uh, approached that one question. So you don't have to be a scholar. You just have to be curious. Just explore the next question in front of you, whether it's your question or the question of somebody that you love. That's so good. That's exactly how I learned about apologetics. Once I discovered it and realized the need for it, I basically just jumped in what I was most interested in at the time about age of the earth and origins kinds of questions. And from there, that would lead to more questions and just kind of one foot in front of the other. So I love that. Well, for my tip of the week, I just wanted to say that after looking through all the questions that we did receive at the conference, I realized how many of them are quote unquote, how related. In other words, Mm. they are questions like, how do you convince a pastor of something like the importance of apologetics or how? How do you convince a friend of something, et cetera? So for those of you who have how questions of that nature, I just want to say, don't fear that you're just going to mess something up if you don't do it exactly the right way. Because if we think that we're going to just ruin everything by doing it wrong, then we have too much of a burden on ourselves and we're just not going to do anything. So of course, there are certainly bad ways to do things if we're talking about being ungodly, but the realm of how within 
godly possibilities is quite large. The worst thing that we can do is just become paralyzed by fear and not doing anything at all. So I don't know who needs to hear this, but just get out there, take a step and pray that the Holy Spirit will guide you. Then talk to your pastor or friend. And if the outcome isn't what you hoped for, don't assume it was a waste or that you messed up or that you shouldn't have said anything. God can use everything and you don't necessarily see how those seeds are going to grow. All right, let's dive into our questions for today. Elisa, kick us off. Okay, so this first one was directed at me. It says, Elisa, why is it called progressive Christianity when it's not Christianity at all? Why are those who follow another gospel referred to as progressive Christians when they are not Christians at all? And so I I have a lot of sympathy for this question because I do understand where this is coming from. It's frustrating to call something Christianity when actually in my book, I'm arguing that it's actually a different religion. It gives you a different God, a different Jesus, and it is another gospel. So here's why I use the term progressive Christianity. Mainly, I do it for the sake of clarity. So the term progressive Christianity is not a pejorative or some sort of an insult that was invented by me or any other maybe conservative Christians to try to insult, you know, this progressive Christianity. This is actually a phrase that progressive Christians themselves use to describe their movement, their beliefs, and their their values. And so for the sake of clarity, I use the phrase because it actually means something. But I agree with the person who asked this question. It's actually not Christianity. And frankly, it's not really progressive. It's really like regressive. So I get where the question is coming from, but I use the phrase uh, for the sake of clarity. Yeah, I I get that question a lot also. So I appreciate hearing your answer on that. Uh, This question said, for Natasha on judgment, I've been taught that God will judge, not me. Can you elaborate on that? So I think this was directed at me because in my talk, I was talking about secularism and how in a secular worldview, judging is the ultimate sin. And I think that this person is hearing that and saying, well, it's, it's a bad thing within Christianity too. So this is a really important question for clarification. Yes, it is absolutely true that God will be our final judge. So if by judge, we mean that word in the sense of past judgment on a person's final standing before God, then we are not to make such a judgment. That's true. That's what James 4.12 is talking about when it says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, so that's different, however, than judging in the sense of discerning between what is right and wrong. That is the kind of judgment that we're absolutely supposed to make. So sometimes people get confused, and I say people, I mean Christians get confused, because Jesus says in Matthew 7, 1, judge not or you too will be judged. But here's the thing. You have to keep reading. The rest of the passage is about not judging hypocritically. So we should take the log out of our eye so we can see clearly to take a speck out of someone else's eye. It doesn't say take the log out and just not don't judge. So we are supposed to judge with right judgment, as Jesus says in John 7, 24. That's good. Uh, This one was directed at me. It said, recently, Elisa has said on her podcast to avoid TikTok, but shouldn't we be embracing technology that so many are flocking to such that we can maintain a presence for Jesus? So I don't remember exactly what I said, although I certainly have said things like that. I think TikTok is pretty much, for the most part, a wasteland. I know there are some people on there trying to shine light and be salt and light. I certainly wouldn't criticize a mature Christian who says, hey, I feel that I am called to 
shine light on TikTok and uh, spread the gospel on there, I would I would not stand against you if that's you. I think I was making a more general statement, and particular particularly in regards to maybe teenagers and younger or less mature Christians, TikTok can be a very confusing place with a lot of really false claims made. But you have a big echo chamber that can get going on TikTok really easily. So yeah, if you believe that God is calling you to have a presence for Jesus there, and you're a mature Christian and you're in the Word, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stop you. But I think generally speaking, I would say it's not necessary for Christians to be on social media. I think our primary calling is to our family, our community, our churches on a local thing. Um, but if you know if you have some gas left in your tank after that, and you want to try to shine some light on social media, then I would say do so prayerfully and with discernment. And there, and there are some apologists who are actually doing some great stuff on TikTok. I know Sean McDowell has that's spent right. a lot of time on TikTok. Uh, Tim Barnett also, right, Elisa? Mm, that's right. Well, yeah, actually, Tim. Tim's had a lot of success on TikTok. So it just depends on the person. And, you know, I would definitely say that young people, like teenagers, it's not a, it's not a good place probably for teenagers. Yeah. But every parent, you know, you just got to do what you think is right in, in that case. For sure. I am not feeling the calling toward TikTok for the record. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, so here's another question. Uh, this one says, for people who believe they're quote unquote good people, so they don't need Jesus, how do we show them their true nature as sinners to convince them of their need for the gospel? So secular culture tells everyone that we're fundamentally good, but the Bible says the opposite, that we're fallen people with a sin nature. And Elisa and I talked about that in a previous ex episode when we were talking about TikTok and toxic theology. No one wants to hear that today. No one wants to hear that they have a sin nature. So if you think that there's nothing wrong with you, you're not going to understand your need for a savior. So that's the force of this question. And it's a really good one. How do you penetrate people's fundamentally wrong understandings about the nature of humanity? So this actually goes back to my tip of the day. It's a how question. There are a lot of ways to share the gospel with people and different people will resonate with different approaches. There's no black and white way to do this. But here's one, what I think is really one important consideration. You need to understand what a person's worldview currently is. So the atheist who says that they're a good person is at a different place than the Mormon who says that they're a good person. And the Mormon is at a different place than the progressive Christian who says that they're a good person. So for example, if you're talking with an atheist, you would want them to get thinking about how you could even define a moral good in a world without a moral lawgiver. That's a whole different conversation than you might have with a progressive Christian who already believes that there is a God and talking with them about what the Bible would say and why we should believe what the Bible has to say about human nature. So rather than just focusing on the good person thing and convicting someone of sin, that's the Holy Spirit's job, by the way, to convict someone of sin. Rather than just focusing on that, make sure that you understand what their worldview is that they're coming from, because that's going to give you a basis from which to communicate better. That's good. And speaking of original sin, this next question says, Elisa said that the doctrine of original sin is under attack in our current culture, but critical race theory is teaching that all white people are inherently racist. Could this be an opening for introducing original sin? Would this be an appropriate tactical approach to somehow move from inherent racism to original sin, or would that be giving too much to the CRT worldview? This is a really good question, because you think about it, right? It's like in CRT, 
CRT, they're teaching all white people are inherently racist. Couldn't you use that as a springboard to say, well, actually, all people are inherently sinful? I totally get where that's coming from. The problem with that, and the reason I wouldn't recommend using this as a tactical approach, is because when we talk about people being inherently racist, the word racism has been completely redefined in CRT. So whereas classically it's defined as having a personal prejudice against someone else, something that you're harboring inside of your own self, um, it's been redefined to mean prejudice plus power. So in the modern CRT framework of racism, a white person could actually have no personal prejudice, nothing inside them inherently in their own you know, mind or opinion that thinks they're better than anyone else. But because they participate and benefit from a system, according to CRT, um, that, that benefits them, then they are inherently racist just by default. So it's sort of like this two completely different things. So I think a better tactical approach would be to ask a clarifying question like, well, what is uh, racism? And ask the person to define what they mean when they're talking about racism. I think the conversation might go in a more fruitful direction with that instead of trying to compare it to original sin. Absolutely. That's a great answer. Uh, somebody else says, a few years ago, I got into a discussion on abortion with my combatively atheist brother. In talking about the value of life, he pushed back about all living creatures having value, which I agree with. I claimed higher value to human life, and he asked why humans are more valuable. I would claim that because we as humans are made in the image of God, but as an atheist, that argument wouldn't fly with him. So how could I have responded to him? Unless I was willing to not kill every gnat, spider, and ant, he thought I was a hypocrite. So this is a, a really good and interesting question, and I, and I love this. So there are two things that are really going on here. One is looking at the world from within the atheist view as a naturalist, someone who believes that there's nothing beyond the natural world. And the other is looking at things from within the Christian perspective. So looking at what is consistent from within each of those worldviews. Note that this is not even at the point of claiming which one is true or comparing evidence. We're only looking at what each worldview would say. From the perspective of naturalism, Living creatures don't even have inherent value. We and animals are just molecules moving mm -hmm. around that arose by natural selection acting on chance processes over time. So a great question to ask the brother would be, why does he believe that any living creature has value at all in such a universe? That appears, at least from this question, to be an inconsistency within his own worldview. But to then answer the question from within the Christian perspective regarding humans versus animals, it is correct to say that we believe humans inherently have value distinct from animals because we were created by God as his image bearers. We believe what the Bible teaches and the Bible does make that distinction. So that's the answer to the why you don't have to not kill every gnat, spider, and ant because the Bible tells us that humans are of a different kind than animals given that we bear the image of God. Now, the brother might then say he doesn't believe what the Bible claims, but you're still answering the question he had as to why in a biblical worldview humans are more valuable. That, of course, then raises the question of which worldview is correct, but now you're getting into the realm of apologetics, and that's a different question. That's so good, Natasha, because I'm, I'm looking at this question thinking, like, yeah, why would he think that any living creature has more value than, say, a plant or a rock or or something uh, like that? And that's kind of the—I think, ultimately, there's really two worldviews. It's either materialism, where you think the only thing that exists is matter, its movements, and its modifications, or that there's something else going on, and then it gets into a different discussion there. Well, thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Natasha Crane podcast and the Elisa Childers podcast— 
For more long-form episodes, we go deeper into topics just like these, but for now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on, that as Psalm 61 puts it, is our rock and salvation, our fortress where we will never be shaken. Oh,